God bless you to all of the visitors, pastors, saints, friends, spectators, you know, all of you all. God bless you. You're in God's house. I'm ready to preach the gospel, and I'm still on fire from 9 o'clock. And, and, and I would preach 9 o'clock's message, but I want to do 10.30's message. So if you have a Bible, if you have a, the best phone, a Samsung, uh, Android device, iPhone, whatever it is, iPad, turn with me to your Bibles or electronic devices to the book of Job. Our spectacular, wonderful hospitality team will provide a Bible for you. If you don't have one present today, take it, read it, meditate on it. You own it. You can have it. Take it home. It's the best thing that you can have in your possession for the rest of your life. Amen. It is a living document. Praise God. The house has been addressed already through prayer. And I want to begin reading at Job 1 and 1. When you have it, say, read, Pastor. That was good. That was good. That was good. Let's do it. The Bible reads, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. For says his sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Six, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Somebody always trying to ride along. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Nine says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now... Stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. 12 says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, I'm moving on down. And this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head and then fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the Lord be praised in all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I want to preach such a message this morning that God has given me if you would allow me to the unknown season coming to a family near you the unknown season coming to a family near you 
Galatians 6 and 9 says before you take your seats and let us not be weary in well doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not tell your neighbor if you have not experienced season 5 of your life it is the unknown season it's coming you may be seated in the presence of God it's coming it's coming y'all bear with me I'm going to take my time this morning first let me define for you what the unknown season is the unknown season is a season that shows up in your life that you never planned for nor did you expect that it would happen to you this unknown season has facts and the facts are this season has no respect of persons it does not discriminate against age gender ethnicity economy denomination believer or non-believer last fact here is this season does not consult with you nor does it sympathize with you there's no warning for the coming of this season the unknown season this thing is already moving me in the pulpit I promise you this story that we so often hear about at times and I haven't preached it in a while but it's been taught here is about a man by the name of Job and in which this text that I've given to you was pulled from the book of Job and I believe that it's one of the greatest stories that we read and know about in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the many dramas of a faithful, of a faithful person by the name of Job that he goes through a tremendous, horrendous, grievous stage of suffering. Anybody been there? And even after going through such turmoil, Job's faith is amazing. His faith stays intact. His body was bruised. His head was uh, shaken. His faith was shaken. Yet he was unbroken. Somebody say unstoppable. This is a story that is intended to, for those of you all that study it, some of you all have been to seminary, some of you all are like homegrown theologian scholars. So, Help me out a little bit, but this story, many have found it to be a debate. A debate. A debate of what? A debate of the nature of righteousness, the nature of sin, and also the nature of suffering. The name Job in Hebrew means hostile towards. In fact, it means the enemy of God in Hebrew. Job now knows, or now is suffering, from what we would call the object of demonic hostility. His name implies one who's persecuted, but we know that God can turn persecution into prosperity. Job's name is descriptive of his character. And I submit to you today that you have to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, when you name your children. Why, Pastor? Because it is in fact that we could be labeling our children 
for the rest of their lives if we name them by something that we have no recollection of, knowledge that is. The Bible always speaks concerning of the power of one's name. We know people like individuals such as Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4 and 6. It says that his mother bore him in sorrow. So therefore, the child's name is a representation of his character. Sometimes we hear names like Jacob, which means swindler, trickster, deceiver, found in Genesis 25 and 26. But ironically, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. For we know that God would change your name to fit your new character. Won't he do it? Your name carries, that's a quick note here, your name carries your destiny. That's another message for another time. Job is described as blameless. This blameless and upright man. And what this means is that he is a man of great integrity. He's someone who behaves according to God's expectation. Like many of us suffer and do not. Job is one that fears God and turns away from evil, stands out of the way of wickedness, and he avoids what he knows will result in negative consequences. Plus, Job is penitent. Job ends up being treated by the divine accuser of brethren. The divine accuser is no stranger to us. In fact, we all know him. His name is Satan. He's the one that goes to and from, the Bible says, from earth, walking up and down, looking for someone he can destroy. Yep, the Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Say it with me. Steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, he comes as a thief in the night to steal what? Our identity, to kill and assassinate uh, uh, Minister Sturdivant, our character, and to destroy everything that you've built for God and his kingdom. Stay on your toes. Take note that he's on patrol this morning. I submit to you and he profiles those, it's going to be good today, who are in relationship with God, not in a religion. Uh, but those who are committed to God, not for the things of God, but for those who worship God in spirit and in truth. This is a message for somebody this morning. Maybe you're streaming this morning. Maybe you're in here by accident. But thank God that you're here because it is not an accident in actuality. You are here on purpose this morning. Job, Job has a tough, tough decision to make because he's been accused by Satan for something that he is not. In fact, the divine accuser, he has a proposition. He argues the fact to God that Job is not who he say he is. Y'all read the story? He believes that Job's faith isn't authentic. Like uh, he says it is. And he tells God that his faith will crumble if, if, if he's afflicted with pain and affliction. He believes that if things don't go the way as they have in the past, Job will turn away from God and he predicts who he's betting on Job. He predicts that God will, he predicts that Job will stop thinking that there is a God who is a good God. And if Job encounters some hardships and disappointments, that he'll stop praising and worshiping God. 
Satan does not believe that a man or woman can remain true to God. He thinks that God will deny. He thinks that Job will deny God. And he has proclaimed that if God really exists, if Job goes through such a matter, he believes that Job will stop believing that God really loves him. And if God really cares for him, if he's afflicted, I wonder in this room who's been attacked. Satan has a proposal. Let's listen to what he says to God. He tells God, if you take away his material gain, he will then engage in evil and curse you to your face. So now God takes the bet and the challenge. God takes the bet and the challenge. And the Bible teaches us that Job becomes afflicted. Watch this from his head to his toes, boils over his body. He loses everything that he worked so hard for acquired over the years even his wife says to him why don't you curse God and die anybody got a wife like that don't raise your hand this morning and Job says to his wife woman you talk like a foolish woman and Psalm 14 and 1 says the fool have said in his heart that there is no God Job responds now through a series of theological conundrums He's in a predicament now and he has to make a decision. He says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Job says, listen, I know I'm going through right now. I've lost my businesses. I've lost my real estate. Anybody in here? I've lost my vehicles. I lost my livestock. I've lost my family. My credit is shot. My wife wants me to die. My kids are dead and gone. But I can imagine Job saying, I know too much about him and you can't make me doubt him <laughs> Woo! I know Job says my redeemer lives and though you slay me yet will I trust him he says I'm in a difficult situation in fact the situation that I'm in right now is an unknown season I didn't prepare for it I didn't sign up for it I didn't even know it was coming but it is a unknown season I prepared for fall I prepared for spring I prepared for summer I even prepared for winter but I did not prepare for the unknown season that has come into my life oh my goodness and he says after I've been tried in the fire I shall come forth as pure gold. Job says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait on the Lord. I will wait until my change come. Here is a man in, most, in the most painful predicament. And here he comes professing and proclaiming. Sounds like some of us. His commitment to God. And the devil can't figure out how is it that we will still honor and respect and praise and worship God in a time like this. Still worshiping him even though we have pain in our lives. How is it that they're still coming to church? How is it that they're still serving on the ministry? How is it that they're still sitting beside them jokers? It's going to be good today, Montegas. I feel it right now. What the devil does not know is that God won't allow but so much to happen to his children. What the devil does not know is that the Bible says that he won't put too much on us than we can bear. For Paul said that be not weary and well doing for in due season we shall reap a harvest if we faint not. 
Here's a thought to be learned from the life of Job. This is for some of us, maybe many of us here this morning, that not all suffering <laughs> comes from wrongdoing. I shared at the 9 o'clock service that we had a conversation with a young man last night at a restaurant, and as I was preparing this message at the restaurant, trying to finish the message, uh, he asked me a question that, that pertained to this message. And I don't know if he's here today, and don't raise your hand if you are. However, he says, I've got some friends, a friend, as a matter of fact, in my life who told me that I would not be going through so much pain and struggle and suffering if I hadn't have done something to God to offend God. Woo, what an open door that he gave me. And I said, man, look right here in scripture. This is what I'm preaching and talking about. I'm talking about the same thing because Joe's friends came against him after they were in silence for seven days. It was after the silence that they began to pour into Job and what they was actually telling Job was far from God. Let me just take a sidebar here and pivot for a minute. You've got to be careful with people so-called that are in ministry. Some are leaders, some are servants, some are parishioners, some are spectators, some are enemies that are trying to deposit into your life something that is far from God. And never let a title or the way that they look identify that it is true and it is the word of God. You've got to be careful who's pouring into your life. Ah, this is good. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Not all suffering comes from wrongdoing. You know how you go through things and people will tell you, you must have, must have slipped up. Right? Well, here's my thought about that. If, if God is going to repay us, for wrongdoing, well, we all, all of us may as well be in a box. Talk to me. I mean, all of us may as well go ahead and, and lay it down because we all have done some wrong. And if you didn't verbalize it, if you didn't speak it, it's been somewhere in your minds. I'll say it if you want. <laughs> oh, God is up to something. Not all suffering comes from wrongdoing. Undeserved suffering often walks through the lives of righteous men and women. That's a note for somebody. And just like the favor of God isn't fair, his grace and daily mercies aren't either. We don't deserve what we have, but I've learned that sometimes godly people have to suffer unexplainable losses because the psalmist said that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver them out of them all. That's what the word says. We have similar situations here because Job is going through a time of difficulty in his life. And let's be real and transparent for a moment because we really could understand this thing a little bit better if Job was grieving right now, but he's not. Or understanding if Job had mistreated other people like some of you in here today. Or if Job was a drunkard or and had extramarital affairs. Or if Job was a liar. Have I come down your road yet? Or if Job was a cheater. Or if Job was a thief or a hypocrite or a doubter or straddle the fence but no 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 that's not the case because the bible says that job was an upright man a righteous man and the bible describes him as being blameless and one who shuns evil 
I mean, if you was committing evil acts, he wouldn't fool with you. And yet, the Bible teaches us that Job still loses everything. And the bottom line is this, that Job's life is a mess. I've been there. Job's life looks like a mess. Job, at this point in time, in this stage of his life, smells like a mess. And in fact, he's dressing like a mess. Anybody ever been in a state of depression and you've dressed and looked like a mess and thought you really looked good until somebody showed you the mirror and said, have you checked and looked at yourself daily? Have you even combed your hair? Have you brushed your teeth? You see, you don't know because you haven't been there, but if you ever experienced somebody who has gone through a state of depression, they begin to go through life floating as if everything is all right. But a good friend, a true friend, will wake you up in the morning and say, get your tail up, wash your face, brush your teeth, cleanse your body, change your life. A good friend won't let you go through life as if everything is okay. I mean, that's a real good friend. And I come to tell you that's probably not a best friend. But that's a real good friend because your best friend, the truth be told, may not tell you everything. Unless you got a real good, 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 best, best, best friend. Okay, that's something else. So Job is, <laughs> is this righteous man. The Bible says he's blameless. Yet he still, he still loses everything. And he's in a mess. It is also now that the onlookers in Job's life, like his friends, are asking questions and making statements as if Job must have done something to deserve these catastrophic events that have taken place in his life. And the answer is simply this. Job did nothing to deserve what he went through. Let me say that again. Job did nothing to deserve what he went through. So that's just a statement for somebody, you know, you think because of what you're going through is something that you did. You've done nothing to deserve what you have gone through. Absolutely nothing. In fact, Job still loves God and still fears God. And the reason why he prospers is that God still protects him, although he allowed Satan to interfere in his life. The Bible teaches us that God reigns on the just as well as the unjust. Are you with me this morning? And we shouldn't be so quick to conclude that people deserve the suffering. Now stop doing it. Pray for them. That they deserve the suffering that they are experiencing. There comes a time in one's life concerning the maturity development stage is what I call it. Where we have to understand that we can't be so quick to conclude that people deserve the suffering, nor should we be so quick to conclude that we have been that right and that we deserve our blessings either. I mean, somehow we're still on this horse riding saying that we deserve this and you don't, but if the truth be real and if we look back over your life, you got some stuff in your life and in your closet and in your skeleton life that you shouldn't deserve what you have also. Let's just be real. What I want you to understand this morning is that sometimes 
the blessings of the Lord are the basis for your satanic attack. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, let me say that again. That the blessings that are in your life, that are on your life, are nothing but like objects that Satan plans to attack. Why? Because they are the blessings of the Lord and he doesn't want you to have anything concerning the kingdom. In fact, every blessing that you have has been marked for destruction. Ooh. And Satan desires to turn your blessings into stressing. It's something that Satan comes after to really see if your loyalty to God will remain to God. Now this is interesting because this is really what takes Satan off. Watch this. God says have you considered <laughs> my servant Joel uh, have you considered first lady have you considered my servant Joel the reason why it took Satan over the edge is because God put a personal claim watch this on the life of Joel he says, have you considered my servant Job? But the other lesson is this, that I want you to take notice is that God didn't say, have you considered my pastor? He says, take notice, watch this now. He says, it doesn't say, have you considered my pastor? It says, have you considered the servant? Come on, talk to me, preachers. He didn't say, have you considered bishop? It says, have you considered my servant? He didn't say, have you considered the apostle? He says, have you considered my servant? It didn't say, have you considered the evangelist? Have you considered my servant? It didn't say, have you considered the hospitality leader? It says, have you considered my servant? It didn't say, have you considered Dr. Reverend, Dr. Deacon? says have you considered my servant so the problem is pastor is that the church has raised up a culture that now craves recognition mm -hmm, and if we don't get recognized we see how someone really feels because if you're not recognized somehow some way you feel like that you've been invalidated I don't know where we get to the place where we need recognition in order to feel validated in the kingdom you gotta stop looking for validation according to your place according to your position I come to serve notice on everybody in ministry in the entirety of the body of Christ that the highest one mentioned is servant not pastor not bishop not evangelist not minister not deacon but servant it's the one who gets real low who serves will be lifted in the kingdom preach See, I recognize the ones who need validation. Those are ones are the, who, who's no longer here. They needed to be validated. But when you know, when you know that you know that you know that you are a child of God, you've been born of the Spirit and washed in the blood of Jesus, you don't need no title. You don't need to state any claim in the kingdom. 
You don't need to hear everybody trying to call you by this Daphne or that Daphne. You had to be here Bible study. All you need to be called is servant. Call me servant. Don't even call me by name because my mama gave me that. But the Bible says he knew me before I was in the womb. So before I was born, I did not have a name attached. But he called me servant. Oh, whew, I almost took off. Ah. So, 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 so the Bible says, and one day he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Oh, we live in a culture now of preachers who need some type of ecclesiastical status. I need for you to call me a certain way. I need a certain floating rug. I need to come in a certain entrance. I, I gotta go on this old box. I need to drive a certain car. I need a certain suit. I need certain color seats. I need certain folks to walk behind me in the ministerial team. But if you be a servant, you don't need anybody else. You just walk with Jesus. You don't need a title. You don't need a building. All you need is your mouth and the Holy Ghost. Don't even give me a mic. Give me a horn. Give me a chauffeur. Give me your spirit. Too many people. Too many people sit down. People hiding behind the mask women's conference. You have a title. Oh, you have a title. Let me tell you something. Just because you have a title does not mean that you're a servant. Just because you got a piece of paper that pastor presented to you in a nice beautiful plaque called a certificate of ordination does not make you a servant. Just because you got a backwards collar on and a four-piece suit does not make you a servant. Just because you sit in a grandiose chair does not make you a servant. Just because you got all of these alculees and all of these alphabets behind your name does not make you a servant. Oh, okay, I'm back. Uh, we come from this culture and this atmosphere that if our name is on the brick, we're this great servant. If our name's on a stained glass window, we have such great status. But I come to serve notice on you if that's you. Your name can be on the front of the building. Your name can be on the front glass. Your name can be plastered all over the walls. But if you won't go in there and clean that toilet, you are still not a servant. If you won't go and pick up a broom, Tanya, you're still not a servant. You can have Armani suits. You can have your stilettos. You can have your shoes. But if you won't pick up a dustpan, a broom, a mop, you can put all the titles behind your name, in front of your name. I don't care, call it your middle name. You're still not a servant. I gotta go, I gotta go. Ah, ah. 
I'm so sick of folks wanting titles. I don't know what to do. Woo. Can I tell y'all a secret? I got mad and said I wasn't ordaining nobody else. Woo. I'm sorry, ministers. Ah, God brought me back real quick. So don't run out and leave me just yet. But I said, I'm not going to ordain nobody. I'm not going to license nobody until I see you with some dirt under your fingernails. I don't care if you a man or a woman. If you won't get down and get dirty, then I don't... Where's the real church? We walking around prancing and dancing and won't even help get lit out of the seat. Okay, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down, sit down. Notice, there's none of them over there. They great. All the service, don't y'all look at nobody funny. Just applause, and if everybody clap, nobody will know that I'm talking about you. <sighs> look at the neighbor and say, don't leave the ministry. We won't know they're talking about you. <sighs> okay. <sighs> Let me give you a hint. You got to leave when everything is good. <sighs> when everything is good, that's when they can go, Montegas. Don't leave when you walk around upset, frowning. We know why you left. Oh, I'm not talking about anybody that left. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But see, see, we walk around here and we think because we quoting two or three scriptures that we have a status to be able to call servant. Let me tell you something. The devil ain't nowhere near servant and he's quoting the whole Bible. In fact, he told Jesus, it is written also. How you preach the word to the word, Matthew 4, chapter. How in the world you look at God in the face and tell God it is written? I don't know, but we have some type of audacity in the kingdom of God to do what we feel and not to do what we need to do. Preach, Pastor. I'll say amen to myself, pat myself on the back. Hallelujah. Notice. Oh my goodness, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go pray. It's gonna stay up too long. I gotta go. Okay. I threw that in there. Notice now. Y'all sit down. Y'all got, I got a little bit more to go. Notice that when God started talking about the servant, Satan started talking about suffering. Oh my goodness. When God started talking about servitude, Satan started talking about suffering. So this means, watch this, if you are blessed, you need to be aware that Satan is checking you out. Now, you have no business being concerned if you're not doing any serving. You have no business being concerned if all you do is show up. When you are committed and you're committed to God, no matter the title, no matter the position, no matter the monetary offering, when you are committed to God, that is when Satan attacks you at your greatest. 
Satan is coming after the things of God. Watch this. Let me tell you why Satan attacks your stuff. Because he's trying to prove that your stuff is more important than your God. <laughs> Job now asks the question. He says, "We." He says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? This is why your faith is so important because as it has challenged you to have to walk in the mindset that for God I live and for God I die, Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I shall return. I can imagine that while he was going through and he had lost everything, all of his money, all of his kids had died, his wife wanted him to curse God and die so she was no good, I can imagine that Job had to walk through this thing and encourage himself because his friends certainly were not encouraging him. I can imagine that the few church folks that was around was really not encouraging him because of all that he was going through. So let me tell you what I believe Job had to say to himself. Let me tell you how I believe that Job had to encourage himself after his friends let him down. He says, the Lord knows the way that I take and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I can imagine that he reached out to David, although I know what the history says, but I can imagine in my mind, according to the Bible, that he reached out to the psalmist David and used some of his words. I can imagine Job says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Skip a few verses. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Get up, Job. Get up out of your ashes. Get up out of your ashes. For I know the plans he has for me. For I know he will prepare us a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And as he anointed my head with oil, I see my cup running over. I will continue, Job says, to enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will continue although you put me down, although you count me out, although you don't want to see me prosper. Job says I will still enter his courts with praise. But thanks be to God, he gives us a victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For I know the plans I have for you, the class the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. His goodness, somebody yell his goodness, even though I've been through hell, 
his goodness his goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days all the days of my life and I will follow me I will they following me I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and let us not be weary in well-doing for in my due season in your due season in your due season in your due season now in my due season we shall reap 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 if we if we faint not hop on your neighbor and say if we faint not Where you 
are upset and angry at God. If you're not angry at God now, you were. Let me tell you something. God is not the author of your confusion or your catastrophic event that has shown up to take your life. Our God that we serve is a God of life. Let me tell you how I know this. God was not the author of Job's catastrophe. Yes, God allowed Satan to intervene in his life, but he would not allow him to take his life. The reason why so many of us die in the process is because we throw in the towel on God while he's trying to use you and your life to bless the kingdom and change lives. So many in the body of Christ have misunderstood, misconstrued the word of God because you allowed somebody to tell you that this is an act of God. The Bible says that the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Why would God, a God that created you, gave you your vision that you have, want to kill it? God is not in the business of aborting dreams. Watch this. This is a note for somebody. When you abort the dream of God what he has given you becomes a fantasy and nowhere do I read in his Bible that our God is a God of fantasy the God that we serve is a God of tangibility and what God says he does God always provides yes do we miss God absolutely but he always provides what we need according to his riches and glory every head bowed every eye is closed Holy Spirit we thank you for ministering today first of all God we thank you for allowing us this opportunity if there be a vessel in here that's not saved, does not know Christ or have the relationship that you desire for us to have, let them make it known now by coming down. Let them not be ashamed of you and who you are. Somebody asked, when's the time? The time is now. There is no better day coming. Today is the day. Why? Because tomorrow is not promised. Give your life today. If you're in a place and you're in a backslidden state of mind or you've committed an act, today's a great day. 
If you have not consulted with God, I ask you to come on down. Change your life today for the rest of your life. If you need to rededicate, recommit your life. Nobody has to know what you've done. Come on down. God bless you. Come on down.